Sego, Sego, Guego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Venevery from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our new website at www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Six Nations Police Services Chief of Police, Darren Mentor. Welcome, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start. There's so much to talk about about in policing, First Nations policing, of course, um, that I hope we can touch on as many topics as possible. Okay. Let's begin with, um, can you tell us how long you've been in policing and how long you've been the chief of police? Okay, my policing career started in June 1992, so I'm coming up on completing 29 years on wow. the 15th of June. So, And any of my friends who were retired police officers now have always said that your career will fly by, and that's very true. So colleagues of mine working in the at the station as well have said that and a lot of them are still a few are still there and a few of them have left so so the six nations police service came into inception in june of 1985 so and that was part of the first nations policing program so at that time there were seconded opp officers working on the territory along with our original members glenn lickers and mike laform were the original two officers we had and then it built from there then in 1991 we became what was a self-administered service so we're one of nine in the province of ontario right now who are self-administered so we still fall under the federal first nations policing program and that is something that we're trying to develop a new legislative framework to try and make first nations policing essential because Mm -hmm. in this day and age we're still not an essential service Uh and yet our municipal and provincial counterparts are so and with that is first nations policing is very underfunded resource wise manpower wise and i feel for my colleagues and brothers and sisters in the north because of the big geographical area that they police their infrastructure their officers everything is so underfunded for them and 
like you hear so much this day and age of PTSD and police officers. And that is true. Mm -hmm. Like I can look back on different tragic situations that I've seen myself and it's not fun, especially, you know, the person mm-hmm. and I can just imagine it's the same in every other police service in the province, especially in the North with the isolation. And I look at how Pekanjikum is with the, the tragedies that occur there on a pretty much a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And then that reflects on the OPP officers going in there to help policing too. So that's basically it's the history of the First Nations policing program. It's good, but still it needs work. So with the latest federal budget outlined of all of the funding increases for First Nations, not only in policing, but education, social services, we're hoping that more funding comes through that we can develop different programs and more resources, more manpower to help police the community because Indigenous people across the country deserve policing just like everyone else. Well, Six Nations has about an on-reserve population of um, over 13,000 now, right? So so what is the size of the Six Nations Police Service and, and how much bigger should it be? Right now we have 37 officers. So that encompasses myself right as the chief down to the latest officer we hired. So he's a young fellow, he's a lacrosse player from the community, which is great. And we have one more who will be going to the Ontario Police College in September. Mm-hmm. For me, we would need probably about 10 more people. And that would help as far as the biggest thing is traffic safety mm-hmm. and ensuring safety if you want to go and go to the store you don't have to worry about it because i know in the past we've had a an auto theft problem and that has kind of dissipated over the last couple of years but now there's the influx of drugs in the community so that's my focus as the chief is to work on the drug enforcement so since i became the chief i start my first day was august 17th of last year so Glenn Lickers, my hat's off to him. He gave 35 years to the community and 30 as the chief. So it's some big shoes to fill, obviously. And it was new for me because my background came from I started in patrol, worked my way up. I was promoted to sergeant in 1998. I was the collision investigator for several years. I did criminal intelligence work. And then I looked after all of the major crime things that occurred on the territory. So. When I took over as the inspector in 2011, like all of the major criminal incidents on the territory fell to me to oversee. And unfortunately, due to drugs, we had a few homicides. We had the death of the little boy, which was, it hit a lot of officers very hard, including myself, Mm -hmm. having to deal with that. Then it was the other triple homicide that occurred with the three community members who were found up near London. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a lot to take in looking back now at all of the things that I've seen. Yeah. And now our focus is turned towards our younger people because I'm not going to be there forever. I'm a dinosaur now. And Mm -hmm. I want to leave it in good hands when, when I'm gone. So that's why we now we, it's succession planning and developing our younger people. 
Mm-hmm. And we're getting more and more younger people who want to be police officers, which is great. They're from the community. There's officers who did not grow up on the territory itself that we have hired, but they are band members. And we have a couple officers who, one's from, actually two of them are band members of Ganawagi, but grew up here. And the latest officer we hired, he came from Akwesasne. So he has ties to Six Nations through his spouse. But I look at it, we're all sister communities and we're all going to look after each other. Anyway, we've done that throughout our history. Yeah, we have the all Haudenosaunee um, history and values and things yes. like that. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how about our culture. And you mentioned that all the police officers go to the Ontario College to be trained. Yes. Now, what kind of training do they get there that's culturally relevant? From my understanding, when I went through there in 92, there was nothing. So since then, it's developed to where they get, I believe, several hours of Indigenous training, like being culturally respective to Indigenous people. Then the thing is that I've noticed that over the years is any non-Indigenous person thinks that because you're Indigenous, you're all the same. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, we're totally different than the Ojibwe culture and the Cree culture. We have our own. And in our Haudenosaunee communities, we have a different type of culture dynamic as well. Like things are different on Six Nations compared to Tyendinag, compared to Akwesasne. But we're all Haudenosaunee people, Iroquois people. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. one officer we hired, he's he's a band member of Wata. He's, He's part of our our culture as well. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the officers that we hire, they don't know really the history of who they are. Like I know a little bit, I didn't grow up in the traditional and the longhouse system. I've Mm -hmm. done lots of reading and talked to very knowledgeable people in the community. Like a friend of mine, Jock Hill, he's probably the most knowledgeable person I know of our culture Mm -hmm. at at my age. I have a lot of respect for him and just listening to him talk and going over the history of who we are and where we come from. It's, I could sit there all day and listen to him. Yeah. He, Jock is very knowledgeable and he has a really um, calming way of relaying his knowledge. Yes. And going back to the unfortunate triple homicide that occurred, one of the victims was his brother-in-law. Yeah. So when we did the the media conference, Jock sat on there. He was very poignant of his, how he felt. And he relayed that out through the media. And you could feel that it it touched him. Yeah. And the message hopefully got through to others who had the information out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, There has been a lot of, I mean, I grew up at Six Nations, so when I think back to when I was a child um, and how my grandparents, um, you know, ran their household with not locking their doors and everybody just kind of, you know, um, visiting all the time and you knew everybody in the neighborhood, those kinds of things. Um, The community has really changed. Yes, it has. Over the years. So um, with... With culture, getting back to that and the officers, 
I know that it's the culture, the Haudenosaunee culture is mentioned in your code of ethics. Yes. How, how in everyday policing, how does the culture, what is its place in, in your police service? When I first started, like you, growing up to me is a great asset if you want to police your community. Like we were told, you cannot police your own community, it's going to fail. So that's 36 years that we've proven them wrong. And the different incidents that you dealt with and the people, you know, some people did not grow up in the traditional Haudenosaunee culture, going to Longhouse, and et cetera, and living by the great law. And I had to educate myself on the people that actually did that. And I know there's the, the two-row wampum where you're in one boat and the others are in another. And you had to take that into account whenever you, you dealt with someone who grew up in that fashion. You could just, it was like a common knowledge if you're dealing with a certain person who was traditional. And my thing was, I'll be respectful to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then you get that respect back. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But trying to pass that along to younger officers who did not grow up in the community, like it's a learning curve for them when they first start. They see this stuff throwing at them like, what is this all about? Because we hear of the, the government influences the laws of, that we enforce and people feel that they don't have to abide by them. If we had our own justice system, I'm all for that. Yeah. But for right now, this is what we have. Yeah. And my concern has always been for the victims of these crimes that are committed. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of awesome people in our community. And unfortunately, there's some that aren't so. And that's mm -hmm. the ones that we deal with. Like, mm -hmm. And being respectful, having a good mind. And those are things that are in our code of ethics. Mm -hmm. And we try to instill that into the younger officers. Like basically, look at who you are, where you come from, and the people you're dealing with. Be respectful and have a good mind. and Basically, listen. And especially in today's times, I think it's really important that they know the history of how we came to Grand River. Yeah. Because that influenced influences so much things like land reclamations Absolutely. and and uh has the um six nations police been involved in the recent land reclamations no no because it's people from our community that are involved in that the principle of the land everyone agrees with but then things get kind of out of control to where criminality occurs and i know there's a lot of people on the territory who weren't in favor of the things that occurred those on the other side felt that that had to be done to get the, the attention and recognition of the, why we're there. And my concern was always has been is if anything that blows back into the community where it affects our elders, the safety of people traveling the roadways, we will get involved. Because having communication with the OPP constantly about the potential of infrastructure going down like the natural gas or the hydro yeah that affects our community mm -hmm. so then that's when we get involved mm -hmm. as far as going out physically looking for people to arrest them from the community no we're not going to do that because they have a strong 
belief that what they're doing is for the betterment of the community in principle i agree with that yeah like we have what we have right now as we're as other communities off the territory are expanding on unceded lands everything there's land claims that have still have not been solved and hopefully 2022 is coming up that something is rectified mm-hmm. i'm optimistic because of how indigenous people have been treated in the past but going forward let's be hopeful and that things can start to turn in our favor so dealing with that is the part that i relate to my officers we're not going to go and target our own people for this incident that's something we don't want to create animosity in our own community amongst our own people whereas if it's something of a criminal nature where it affects public safety then yes we will mm-hmm. so it's it's a very fine line and you got to know when which side to step on at times and use your discretion to your best advantage okay well that's good to know um because I don't think land reclamations are going away. No, they're unfortunately. not. No. <laughs> and the thing is that I try to educate my non-Indigenous policing colleagues is look at the history of why people are there. Like I was called to do a presentation after the Douglas Creek incident occurred. And it was for an Indigenous awareness seminar that they had at the Ontario Police College. And the first thing I made known is I'm coming here as part of the Mohawk Wolf Clan is part of the Haudenosaunee people. There are other issues in the province. I don't know anything about what's going on as far as the Ojibwe culture, the Cree culture in the north of the issues that they have. I do, but I'm, I'm not going to be the one speaking to that. I said, I can speak specifically about Six Nations. So started way back in the War of Independence when Six Nations assisted the British. And then we ended up in 1784 coming to the banks of the Grand River, initially having six miles on either side of the Grand from off the source. Mm -hmm. That land was taken away from us over the years, and now we have this much. And I had the the map that you see of uh, the highlighted map of our original territory. That's an iconic map. Yes, so Mm -hmm. it's amazing that a lot of people out there don't know where we are or the history of it. So I think it kind of changes their perspective on things if once they hear the history of someone and the assimilation that we went through and the residential schools, the 60s scoop, all of that, what we've all went through over the years, now this is the residual fallout per se. Yeah, I think the courts have um, across this country have started to become aware since Gladue. Yes. Um, writing Gladue reports for individuals um, and informing the courts, you know, our history, not only Haudenosaunee, but whatever First Nation um, or civilization they're from, they get a lot of information, historical and a different perspective about people and what brought them to the their criminal justice system. Yes. So I think that's been a good thing for um, understanding and awareness and those kinds of things. With the, with the police service, on a day-to-day basis, do you have any 
cultural guidance, like from elders in the community that help you? Not on a daily basis. We're trying to get things set up working with Ganokusha. Sandy Montour has been very instrumental in working with, she was working with Arnold Jacobs at one time, and then with Jana Miller as our CS community services officers to get like a Haudenosaunee awareness thing for all of the officers to take. And even if you're from the community, you grew up there, I would still want these the officers to go and do that, including myself, because it's always nice refresher in case you may have forgotten something. Like I know it's hard to put into words how we utilize that on a day-to-day basis because we live it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it's hard to explain. But that was my focus is because we were going to look at doing this awareness training last year, but unfortunately with COVID and the pandemic, it's put a lot of things on hold. So that's something later on, hopefully maybe this year that we can get rolling again. And I know speaking with Sandy, she's still very, she wants to get it done for, for our sake mm-hmm. and for the community's sake, because to me, it's if you know who you are, where you come from, and the more knowledge you have, the better you can deal with the issues that we come across our desks all the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned about officers and PTSD and seeing a lot of a lot of trauma. What what um, do you offer the officers in for for that? So through our benefits, we have an employee assistance program where they have access to a psychologist that they need to speak with someone. We brought in Dr. Caitlin Davy. I'm not sure if you know her. She's she's a band member of Six Nations, and she's come in and done a few seminars for people, basically saying, I'm here if you need me. And the dynamic has changed that way because when I first started, you were always told, oh, forget about it, you'll be fine. And Mm -hmm. that's not the case anymore because I look at, unfortunately, the OPP of the members that have committed suicide Yeah. because of PTSD and the things they've seen. So mental health for our officers and not only the officers, but their families, the civilians and their families, that's a priority for me. So we have a mental health review that's occurring right now. So last year, the OPP were, there was a mental health review done by Calibrite Solutions. It's uh, the lady's name is Dr. Meredith Brown. So she did the study of the OPP and why these things were happening to them. So as a result of her report that was released last August, the OPP were allocated enough funding to hire 200 more people because it was realized that all these officers with PTSD, they're off. Someone has to pick up that slack and it's twofold. It just keeps going down leapfrogging more people and more people go off. So Six Nations, we belong to the Indigenous Police Chiefs of Ontario. So that's the nine standalone services. So we met with the the province and the federal people and said, that's great that the OPP had this review. What about First Nations officers? Oh, you weren't included in the study. I said, yeah, we're not. So as a result of us advocating and pushing for that, funding was allocated for that to happen. So that is currently ongoing. And it was initially going to be 
wrapped up July 31st, but now they've extended it to October. So I have an officer dedicated working with Dr. Brown and her team and to help, okay, there's surveys coming out of different things because if you don't ask what the issues are, how do you rectify them? So that's the purpose of the surveys. And on that advisory panel, we have former Chief Ava Hill, which I think is great. She can advocate for Six Nations as well as the other First Nations officers that are being reviewed. So hopefully at the end of this review, the province and the, and the Fed see that, yes, PTSD is affects Indigenous officers as well. And to me, it's a no-brainer. Well, it really is because you mentioned before that uh, it was decided that Six Nations would would police themselves, would, yes. would have officers from the community. And I know that can be have advantages, but it can also have disadvantages as well. Yes, it can. And I didn't know whether it whether that policy could withstand the years. And how do you see that? I have had to arrest relatives in the past. It's by no means fun. Some of them to this day have carried a grudge. Others haven't. And I relay that to the younger officers that this is what you're going to run into here. So we always try to have an officer who's independent. So if someone was working with me who was not related to that person or vice versa, they would look after that. Or if it became so involved, we would call in an outside service to do this just for the to remain unbiased for and that there's no conflict of interest because i know that's come up by defense lawyers in court that oh you were biased against my client you should have declared conflict mm -hmm. okay but the other officer here was related or that officer here knew and grew up so that's why it's when we do things it's totally transparent of the information and disclosure that we put forth so it's again it's very tedious at times and we have to take into account we have to be accountable and transparent to the community and namely the victim of, of the crime we're investigating yeah. so that they see that we're a professional and thorough organization what about diversion in the police service because traditionally that's how we handled a lot of you know crime type things yeah. is diversion and circles and things like that. How does the police service um, do that today? It's a lot of it we deal with is for the young offenders. There's the extra judicial measures program that we have where in lieu of charging them criminally, they go take counseling or they an elder comes in to speak with them or it's community services hours. Basically it's, teaching them to respect your elders. And this is in the old days. I know what happened to me when I didn't listen, as well as probably you yourself. So, mm -hmm. but nowadays you can't do that. And it, to me, it's basically teaching the younger folks, okay, this is who you are. This is the issue that you caused. This is the penalty that you're going to receive. It works. They don't have a criminal record to where it's going to affect them for a job search down the road and or when they get older. As far as any other diversion things we have, I let the officers use their discretion because I've always believed that we're here to enforce the law. We're not here to jam it down someone's throat. It's not black and white. There are gray areas. 
So at times I know I've done it to where someone needs a ride home, you do it. Or this person needs a ride. Yeah, do that, give that to them. Or we're not gonna arrest you at this time. Because to me, you hear the, the buzzword I call it of community policing. To me, First Nations policing is the best community policing model that there is out there. Because our officers, 95% of them come from the community. So the, the last couple of young fellows we've hired, Tyson Bumbery and Quinn Paulus, NLL lacrosse players. The younger folks see these young gentlemen here now are now police officers. They can kind of mentor the youth in the community and see. And a lot of the younger people we had, it's because I seen so-and-so or somebody met me and, and talked to me. And that's why I wanted to be a, a police officer in my community. So I relay that to the officers that you're mentoring through your, your career. Like there's officers that come to me and says, I remember you dealt with this situation years ago and I wanted to become a cop. Yeah, I recall that brings up a, a, a thought. I recall years ago when Glenn Lickers was the chief and I, and I relayed an idea of having the officers on bicycles mm -hmm. in the village. Yes. Yeah, can that happen? Well, again, it's manpower. Yeah. So we have four platoons of officers and people seem to think with COVID and people being locked down, that calls for service have kind of quelled. That's not the case at all. We are busier now than we've ever been because really? people are, they're isolated. There's yeah. nowhere to go. And yeah. it's unfortunate that alcohol and drug abuse have gone raised a little bit. So hopefully that quells to where it dissipates back and that people get back to whatever their normalcy was at the time before COVID. Working or getting out, mingling with friends, going on vacations, that kind of thing. Because you can see it in the officers too, that they like to gather and have fun like anybody else does. And it's COVID has affected a lot of people. And I know yeah. we've lost 11 community members and yeah. a couple of them were relatives of mine. Yeah. And it's sad to see that this is how this pandemic has affected our community, but we'll get through it. Yeah, the mental health issues for sure. And I, I recall a police service, I can't, re I can't remember which one, but they had, um, they had started having mental health workers accompany them. Mm -hmm. I think it was in the States, actually. Yeah. And, and I think that was a good idea yeah. because officers really aren't trained in mental health no, um, work. we're not. Because I know that started in this area. I believe it was Niagara Regional that was the first to start it. I know Brantford City Police have it, them mobile crisis response team where mental health workers actually accompany the officers to calls for service. Mm -hmm. We're working with our mental health department on the territory to get that going as well. Oh, that's good. So that's still in progress. And that's something, one of my goals when I became the chief was to get that going because a lot of our calls are mental health related. It's unfortunate that with drug use and addiction, the result is people have mental health episodes. And it's sad to see some people how that 
has affected them in their life to where they've ended up. But we're here to help everybody in the community. That's our job. Mm -hmm. People call, we go. Yeah. What about the, um, you mentioned that drugs are such a, um, it's kind of blown up, the yes. drug issue on yes. in the community. And how many officers do you have dedicated to that problem? We have a designated drug unit of four officers. So they're going out, that's their focus. They look after drug enforcement, whether it's under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act or the Cannabis Act. I know there's a lot of mixed feelings of community members about marijuana. Yeah. And to me, the reason we're doing that is for public safety. Because the dispensaries that are selling this stuff, like the marijuana and the edibles, you can't guarantee where that stuff has come from. Whereas if pe people have the licenses through federal or provincial legislation, Health Canada is involved with that. And there are certificates of authenticity that this stuff is pure because it's been known that drug traffickers add things to marijuana, fentanyl, to yeah. make it more addictive. Well, that comes to the issue of sovereignty, right? Yes. And um, Six Nations. We have very few rules in zoning. We mm -hmm. have very few rules in in um, all kinds of things. Yeah. Retail. Yeah. We're kind of, everybody's out there doing their own thing. Yeah, exactly. Because like you go off territory, there's zoning bylaws for this is industrial, this is residential, this regulations, is Regulations. Yes. That's what yeah. word I was looking for, regulations. Yeah. yeah um, you know, that's that's always been, even with our two governments. Yeah. Yes. How do uh, it? Let me ask you: How do our two governments affect policing? That's a good question, because on the elected side of things, we work with them quite a bit. Like, we're not an arm of council by any means. We have the police commission in between as a buffer, and I know there's issues that have been ongoing since 1924 between the elected and traditional system. As far as law enforcement wise, I believe we have a very good relationship with the, the Confederacy. And to me, I have the utmost respect for them. That's, they are carrying on our traditions, our culture and our languages and passing that on to generations. And I know that whenever there's a land reclamation issue, both of them come to the table to try and help solve the problem. And I know that there's, I don't know if animosity is the right word between it, there's friction between each body. And I know speaking with different community members over the years, if we had a hybrid type of, I wouldn't say government, but negotiating body between elected and council where they work together, to me, there would be a lot of problems and issues that would have been solved a long time ago. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. Well, we should all have opinions. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, language? You mentioned language. Is language learning um, encouraged yes. among the police? Like my thing is, I know that different times there's been a few officers who have more of a traditional background who've grown up, says, I'm going to a language class, absolutely. 
myself, I'd love to be able to speak my language. I'm Mohawk. That's my lineage. I'm a wolf clan. I know a few words. Same. We're yeah. same. Yeah. So I would love to be able to speak where I know a few words. I can understand a few. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I'm going to make it a goal that I want to learn my language. It should be part, really, of yeah. the police service. Yes. You could make it part of the police service. I know I've been learning um, off and on with classes since 2017, and it is such a complex language. Yes, it is. It's really hard to yeah. learn. You know, even if you're putting um, immersion, if you're in immersion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, we, we all need to put forth a, a much um, tougher effort into yeah. learning the language and incorporate it into our and I know this is not an excuse, but it's just finding the time. Well, we have to make the time. Yeah, exactly. yeah for sure. Well, anything else you'd like to add that we didn't touch on? I'd like to have another episode with you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things really that you can talk about. Yeah. It's just in our daily routines that we go through at work, it's, there's always a unique situation that arises. And I know all of the officers there were all there for the betterment of the community. Like I know in the States with the unfortunate incident with Mr. Floyd, you hear the call for defund the police. Yeah. And in First Nations policing, we're already defunded. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, as things progress along and we we become essential that the funds flow more freely and, and we get more of what we actually need. So if we get what we need, the community gets better police. Do you think there was a, um, in terms of the community's relationship with the police, I mean, it's been rocky over the years in reality. What do you think the status of it is today? I think it's pretty good. Like I walk around when I can just go into the village and especially with COVID, it's kind of hard right now, but just going to talk to people. Hey, how are you? Like, I grew up there. People know me. I know mm-hmm. them. And there's a lot of younger people now in the community that I don't know. The younger officers do. Oh, and yeah. that's what I say. This We're here for this community, so get out there and mingle with people. Yeah. Don't just sit in your car. Get out and walk around. Wave at people. Talk. Yeah. Especially the kids. Yeah. Like the children are our future. Yeah, and I know you went into schools before with yeah. the D.A.R.E. program. Yeah, so that's yeah. getting resurrected again with COVID, hopefully on the downslide, and we get past it and we move on and get back to where we were before. Yeah, hopefully we're moving in that direction. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever be like the way it was before, but I think uh, we're moving in the right direction. I think Mother Nature sure give us a wake-up call. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today on this episode of Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast. We've been talking and sharing with uh, Six Nations Chief of Police, Darren Mentor, and hopefully he can come and revisit us in the future. Yes, and y'all for having me today. Yawa for being here. Yahweh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasunha 
the Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Van Every. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our new website at www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Yeah.